How are you doing there? It is December. It's Christmas time. It's Christmas present time. It's a present to yourself time. It's time for patrons who are our favorite people, John, the people who actually pay us. Indeed, absolutely. To to get out of the scratcher and do all this. So on Patreon for all of December, it's a 10% off annual fee for you. And of course, you know what you get. You get economics, you get ad-free, you get chats. I answer your questions. You've got economic courses, the courses I give at Trinity. You've got book lists. You've got the whole lot, all on Patreon, all for the price of, is it a pint, John? For a pint. And you know what? It makes an amazing present. It makes an amazing present. So it's patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Support us. We'll support you. Who doesn't like that deal? Ho, ho, ho. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is the podcast. It's the second last podcast before Christmas. The year is coming to an end. And what a year it has been. And in a minute, we're going to be talking to the great Mark Bly, the Brown University, on what his takeaways are from 2020, what we learned, what we didn't know, what materialised, what went right, what went wrong. We're going to focus, just for our British audiences, on the UK, because the UK has had a particularly, particularly bizarre year, economically, politically, financially, and ultimately, socially. Mm. But much more important for you, today is John's birthday. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thanks Happy very much. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, <laughs> dear John. He was one of these poor Egypts who was born right beside Christmas. So he I, never got any presents. He didn't like a proper yeah. birthdays. And my birthday's in August. So at least you're in August. You get your yeah, presents yeah. in August. Uh, it was always, I always got that line. Oh, this is for your birthday and Christmas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, if you feel charitable, there is, we will self, uh, we'll set up a self-help line here for the John Davis Benevolent <laughs> Fund. <laughs> what do you do for your birthday? You're taking me out. You're taking I'm me taking out. I'm taking you out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we'll grant Arthur's for a pint now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's only 27. He's only young for... Only I am. Young. That's what I am in my head. Oh I yeah, I know. It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. I know, yeah. and it gets worse. It gets worse. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, 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 I'm challenging Messi now for the Ballon d'Or <laughs> in my head. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, we will not labour John's birthday other than we will go for a pint around the corner in an hour or two. But this week we're going to look back at 2022. 
has been a, an awful year, a bizarre year. You have Ukraine, you have inflation, you have interest rates. But maybe the story for this part of the world, the biggest story was the implosion of the centre in the UK, particularly over the summer months. Like it's a shame because Boris Johnson, I really miss you. You gave mm. me enormous amount of pleasure. You gave me material. It's been an awful thing. He he's was gone. Great. And then he was replaced by Liz Truss, which is even greater. Yeah. It's great bang for your book it there. It's great bang. Speaking of bang, I believe she was doing banger in, uh, in one so of the... So I hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hear. Traces great of banger white, for your book. Traces of white powder found <laughs> the snooker table <laughs> in wherever. Anyway, do you know, as well as watching the World Cup, John, I've been watching... White Lotus. I've become obsessed with it. And I watched the first version. I've noticed, Mark, that you've been getting into all these little mini series and stuff. This is, this is, it's, it's late at night when I can't sleep. <laughs> I watch this mad stuff. Okay. But it's really very good. White Lotus. Very, very good. Very dark. Very strange. Very good. Sounds good. Must watch it. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to focus on 2022. We're going to focus on the UK. What happened to Britain? And we're going to go to a friend of the show, a fantastic, fantastic commentator, political economist, professor at Brown University, Mark Blythe. Let's go to the States and talk to Mark. Mark, good to see you. How are you doing, man? I haven't seen you for ages. Well, it's good. You know, I'm still living in freedom land and it hasn't blown up yet. So awesome. Mark, what do you, what do you make of White Lotus? I just like this. I, I really love the premise of the second season where the guy suddenly becomes a, a tech billionaire and his wife wakes up one day and says, what the fuck happened to my life? <laughs> right? You suddenly are catapulted into this world where there's nothing but arseholes with money. Yes, I mean, well, just that's think, true. Think about how unpleasant that would be because you've immediately lost all of your connections to anyone real on the planet. Whether you like it or not, you're now with fucking captain fuck up in the billionaire class well, and there's nowhere fucking, else to go the, the royal fuck up of all the captain fuck ups is really producing the goods now isn't he Mr. Tesla oh yeah absolutely I'm just shorting my own stock so that I can do a vanity project that shows that I don't know how a media company works <laughs> <laughs> or I'm just going to buy myself for 44 billion because I am the asset of Twitter <laughs> it's, it's funny how you can spell asshole with an ET at the end <laughs> but no I mean isn't it funny like, we're, we're talking now Mark and I we're going to be talking about lessons learned in 2022 now I want to talk about the UK because that's for many people listening to the podcast that's the biggest oh Hi. my god what happened there right but I want to talk about speaking of white lotus right tech bros and the demise of the fuckwit tech bro okay oh, yeah. oh and the crypto bro even better ah uh, that's been a thing of beauty it does. I mean, it turns out, David, I didn't know if you knew this in your career as a banker, but if you give people who are idiots free money, they can invent all sorts of ways to lose it <laughs> and actually get other people to buy into the losses. <laughs> Which I think is why this podcast was really, really sceptical from the start of crypto. And it was also fueled by the fact that there was just a touch of free, it's, a, it's not even free money it's the combination of free money and Scientology. Yes. Oh, that's, that's a brilliant way of putting it. Absolutely. I always, I have a warning trigger that goes off. My trigger word is new paradigm of value. 
Oh yes, oh, that, that's <laughs> exactly. always a good one. It's, a, it's basically it's like there's a, there's value which is really hard to describe anyway in normal times, but we've got a whole new paradigm of value. And unless you basically speak a bullshit version of computer science language that most computer scientists would tell you is bullshit, then you don't understand what value is. So and precisely, go. and what is at the root of all your misunderstanding is you actually aren't technically able to understand this amazing new world that, for example, the NFT speaks to. This oh, is absolutely. Like, absolutely. Yeah. Do you remember the SPAC? Uh, we were, the special we were, you know. purpose acquisition vehicle where there was a diner in New Jersey that was valued at $200 million because the diner is the holding pen for whatever bit of billionaire investment comes along and decides to turn it from a diner into, <laughs> into whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. Just so you know, just listen to the SPAC was a fantastically beautiful tail end of the credit boom idea, which was we are going to set up a special purpose vehicle that you are going to invest in into a company that has yet been specified. Okay. Yes. So we're actually just going to take your money. An actual fact. If you look at the history of the South Sea bubble in England Mm -hmm. in 1720, at the tail end of that, there was an extraordinary amount of companies offered for sale and prospects there. There was one was the Square Cannonball, which I thought was a particularly good one, right? That's a good one. But the second one was exactly, we are going to take your money to invest into a company in the Caribbean as yes, unspecified. Yes. And of course, people did it. So the, our first lesson from 2022 is free money can make you mad. Yes, I think that's it. And a decade of free money can do untold damage <clears throat> to your economies. Because it turns out that when you give every wise arse with enough leverage, even more leverage, they don't invest it wisely. They don't turn it all into green tech. They don't turn it all into the things we need. They turn it into things that we absolutely don't need and probably don't really work. And that's how you just might as well burn the cash. Exactly. Yeah. But it's under the guise of innovation, though, which is a innovation, kind of- the future. I think, John, anytime you hear somebody talk about the company's burn rate, yes. run a fucking yeah. mile. That's okay? a good one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Mark, let us go. Right, let let's us, go. Let's, let's go. get started. Let's go. We're done now we warm are up. started. No, that's, that's, we've got our warm up. Yeah. We're limbering up. The tracksuit's off. They're coming <laughs> exactly. off the sideline. The tracksuit's off. The manager's looking, saying, Oh, we get that lad. He's quite the black good. Up front. Is up. <laughs> exactly. The black card is up. John's doing his little dance. We're all good. Right. Let's talk about the UK 2022, Mark. Cool. Your home country. It is indeed. It is. Or at least one part of it, Scotland. It's attached to this other thing called England, which looked like a really good thing for a while. And it got so bad that it made me think that nationalism might not be a bad idea. And then it got even worse. Go for it. Explain, because, I mean, we're looking at three prime ministers in one year. Yep. Four chancellors, a complete U-turn, a potential run on the bond market, a central bank that didn't seem to know what it was doing and then knew what it was doing. And all of this coming at a time when, you know, we're all coming out of pandemics, trying to get our act together. What do you think is going on in the UK? All right. So if you, you're you going to have to let me do this in three bits, right? I'm okay. not going to give you a lecture. I won't bore you, but it's important. This is not new. This has been brewing for a very long time. Now, if you're in Ireland, the one thing you know is a small open economy you have to balance your imports and exports over the long run, 
right? If you don't, you're living off of somebody else's money. Now, what happened back in Britain, way back in the early 1980s, was the Thatcher government sincerely believed that if they liberalised finance, what would happen is they would reinvest in British industry and British industry would be reborn. Instead of which, what they found was if you invest in housing and you don't build any more and you give everybody credit cards and you basically become a giant offshore kind of money laundering hub, then you can make even more money to hell with British industry. And that was sort of the original sin. Now, how does this play out? You ever wondered why Britain's so expensive? You ever wondered why the pound is so overvalued? It's because of that little trick the Brits have been playing that they didn't have to balance their imports and exports over the long run because there was always foreigners willing to buy British assets. Why? Because it's the London, the London property market's the largest money laundering scheme on the planet because they clear all the euro transactions, euro derivatives. They're basically the banking hub for Europe because British companies did actually grow faster than sclerotic European companies. And because of that differential growth, you're going to invest money in their stock market rather than somewhere else's. Now, all those conditions were kind of working up till about 2008. And then we had that big crisis. Since then, you've had... Zero growth in real terms, zero productivity growth in real terms. You've discovered that you've got an incredibly polarized country in terms of income and wealth and a low wage economy. Consumption is based upon the recycling of more and more credit, which is ever more fragile. And then there's a couple of classic own goals that go on along the way. The first one being the austerity binge, which basically polarized the country even more. And then the solution to that was to double down on Brexit. Right, was that was going to be the problem? It's really the EU's fault. And what you've done then is separate yourself from the very export markets that traditionally you would grow out of if the pound lost value. So just look sure. at a chart sure. of the dollar versus the pound, and what you're seeing is the pound is just going down and down and down and down. Now, why is this a problem? It's a problem because Britain imports, for example, two thirds of its food. Yeah, so you're straight away you're getting high food prices. This is it. This is your cost of living crisis. You've got no productivity growth to pay for new uh, real wage gains. You've got real wages going down because of inflation. Inflation's going up because the pound is falling in value. Foreign investors are looking at this now going, why on earth would I invest there? So they're not. So the pound goes down. So you start to get caught in this cycle. And the cycle of the pound basically getting to its real equilibrium level then discovering that the economy underneath is incredibly fragile and simply doesn't grow and has way too much private sector debt, let alone public sector debt. It's the private sector that's much more worrying. I mean, think about it this way. You've got, what is it, 3 million Brits every year accessing food banks? I know, I mean, it's when did, when did yeah. food banks become part of the welfare state? But they no, are. it's extraordinary. Well, I'll just tell you just an aside, because I want to go on and talk about the strikes which are going on across the board in Britain at the moment. And lot, lots and lots of people are over there. Friends of ours are coming home for Christmas. They're like, they're saying, I said, what's it like? And it's kind of chaos because these yeah. trains aren't working. The nurses aren't striking the NHS. Apparently, the water pressure is down in loads of parts of the country. Yeah, so I that mean, means- that's, what, that's what happens in Caracas. <laughs> I'll tell you. But what interests me was watching the World Cup the last couple of weeks, switching between RTE and ITV, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And RTE, given the, the kind of Irish view, and then watching the ads on ITV. So I haven't been watching ITV for many years, right? Every second ad seems to me to be for a short-term, almost payroll lender. Right. right? There are ads for low interest rate, yeah. but they're actually high interest rate. But yeah. all the ads are for, here's a credit card. You know, if you have problems with debt, we'll sort you out. 
And it's a real, it's this contrast watching the different ads on the two different jurisdictions. You don't yeah. have that, right? So this, this is, goes to your idea of a consumer on low wages trying his best or her best just to stay alive with right. loads of debt. And do you know one of the, the most disturbing that I found of, of those ads, which you've been watching as well, is the likes of Sun Life or some of those where they start with, are you over 55? Don't leave your family with the burden of your funeral. <laughs> you know, you start a funeral fund. Sorry, exactly. Well all, the, well, all that sort of stuff, you know. So what you're, what you're talking about, Mark, is the endemic financialization of the economy, yes. of the society, so that money becomes, it's always a, is an anxiety for people. Always, money's always an anxiety, but it becomes an everyday anxiety. And that's what you're talking about. Totally. And, and what compounds this as well, what really became apparent in the 90s and has really become, if you will, the thing that defines these 12 years of conservative government, it's the pandemic and all of the public contracts going out the window to friends and all this sort of stuff, that wasn't new. That had been going on for years. I mean, think about things like the British Broadcasting Corporation doesn't own its own transmission towers. It's owned by some conglomerate and then they rent them from them. Right. Think about the British gas network. You'd think that one country that size would have one gas monopoly. Instead, we had hundreds of these firms, all these bullshit firms, basically trying to buy futures contracts that they could never deliver on. The whole thing collapses. The entire economy exists around basically getting a contract from the government to provide a service and then screwing the consumer. Now, when you do that, there is absolutely no way to have any type of productivity growth. And the main way you control costs is by squeezing labour. So take all that stuff about basically foreigners no longer propping you up and add that to a domestic business model that no longer works because it's really about generating income from assets rather than investing in the economy in any progressive way. And the Brits are in a very, very bad position. And tell me about the just the, the strikes now. It would seem very logical that if you are a railway worker or a nurse and you're at the receiving end of precisely what we're talking about, and you don't necessarily want to become a payday loan shark victim, so you go and strike. Yeah, absolutely. Your real wages are falling because inflation is going up. And, you know, this is the thing that people discount that perhaps they shouldn't, particularly people like me who are better off, that when you're at the bottom, you're already struggling. When you add 10% onto your costs, that's 10% off your wages for real. And that means millions of people in Britain are right on the edge and inflation is pushing them down. Now, you have the Bank of England chief coming out and the prime minister coming out and saying, well, it's irresponsible to go on for strikes. Well, there was an alternative. You know when all those corporations that you sit on the boards of were making windfall profits? You fought tooth and nail not to take those profits and redistribute them. Well, guess what? We're going to do it for ourselves. You know who's going on strike next week? Let me give you the full list. Are you ready for this? Health for workers, us. rail, nurses, buses, highway workers, Royal Mail, ambulance, border force, baggage handlers, driving examiners, Everybody is at it. Now, if you ever want to see a kind of coalition of everyone who's pissed off and had enough, that was pretty much it. So let's talk about it, right? Because what we're saying is that over time for the UK to rebalance itself, the pendulum has to swing from profits back towards wages. But if it does at a time of low productivity, what you will end up with is a balance of payments crisis. 
Yep. In a 1970s style balance of payments, right? 1950s, start, 1960s, absolutely. If you start with an 8% balance of payments deficit off an economy that's in recession, you're already in deep shit. Right. How does the UK get out of this? Well, the way that it works through usually then is through the exchange rate, right? The exchange rate is going to go down even further. Essentially, you have to have a massive devaluation, but because you import so much of the stuff that you consume, that then pushes up inflation, which means that you then have to have even higher interest rates. You get caught in the type of squeeze that we would associate with a Latin American economy. I'm not saying this out of hyperbole, right? It really is exactly the same type of dynamics. Now, how do you how do you make something out of this? Well, you've decided that Brexit has a bonus. We're still looking for it. How about trying to find it? You could do something like the Americans have done with the Inflation Reduction Act, which has absolutely nothing to do with inflation and has everything to do with rebuilding industrial capacity, getting a lead in green tech, pushing out the rollout of renewables, doing all that sort of stuff. There's no reason for the British government or even more telling the opposition Labour Party not to have some kind of plan as to how you invest your way out of this. You can put it on the government balance sheet. Yields are not going to jump. You can take it off the balance sheet, put it in a development bank. There are hundreds of models of ways of doing this. And even the polarised and paralysed United States was able to do this. Britain has a unified government, but what's amazing about them, it seems that both the Tories and Labour simply don't have any clue what to do. They said, we need regulatory dealignment. We need to get away from the Europeans. We need our freedom. Freedom to do what? Sign a trade deal with Australia who are already selling you stuff? That's an abomination. What are you people playing at? So my question back to you, David, is why can't they think of something to do in this moment? Because there are things you could do. You have to invest your way out of this as a long-term project. Why is even Labour? Labour seems to basically be fiscal prudence, and that's it. Well, I think it's because both of them are, are trapped by the ghosts of the past. It's very, very clear that the Tories are still trapped by Mrs. Thatcher. And Labour are trapped by a weird combination of Tony Blair and Jim Callaghan. Yeah. And by that I mean, by that I mean, the, the Jim Callaghan fear is that they will be regarded as fiscally loose and fiscally incontinent and they will precipitate a balance of payments crisis that happened under a very right wing. Do you remember that guy, Quasi? Do you remember him? No, ah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and Quasi, Quasi Kami. Exactly. Well, you know, so the balance of payments crisis was precipitated by an extreme right-wing government. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, what you have is the Labour Party are still petrified of Jim Callaghan stroke Jeremy Corbyn, right? Yeah. And the ghost of Blair is the man who won three elections for them. How did he win three elections for them? He won three elections by entertaining the concerns of Mondeo Man in Essex. So right. they're completely trapped. They've no idea what their constituency is. And the Tories are still largely hostage to a Rule Britannia 1987 image where Land Rover used to have Spitfires as their ads. Do you remember that? Yes. Okay. Yes. Spitfires over Dover advertising <laughs> fucking minis. Right? Right, yeah, okay. yeah. right. And of course, as you've said before in the podcast, into this vacuum and this paralysis, you weaponize inequality through Brexit and you have this extraordinary, which is, it's, it's almost like the opening scene of Macbeth. Yes. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. The three witches. And, and all the while you have the Scots thinking, what are we doing here? 
No, absolutely. That's exactly. I mean, I, I think this is the moment for pragmatic nationalism as opposed to romantic nationalism. The ship is sinking. Do you want Get to be the in the lifeboat yeah. or no? I mean, that that's basically it. And that's a real tragedy because the Labour Party has in this moment a chance to do something. But the, the weird, the contrast with Blair is, you know, we have a jaundiced remembrance of, of Blair, if remembrance is a word. We have a, a jaundiced view of Blair because of what happened with Iraq. But we tend to forget that when he came in, he came on in the background of a major government that was mired in corruption allegations, just like now. They were seen to have run their course just like now. And Labour had this amazing salespin. My vision for a young country, yeah. the importance of education, how we're going to be leaders in this, that, and the next thing. B Blair did not play fiscal prudence. That was Brown's mantra, right? And actually, they only did it for the first five years. And then after that, they actually spent quite a lot. They had a vision. What's truly disturbing about the people in Labour just now is they actually think that having a vision is dangerous. Well, is it that they think that having a vision is dangerous or that they believe that the risks in their mind of the sort of centrist Labours around Keir Starmer, those type of Labours, they fear that the risk in Labour is the endemic infighting amongst the left. So rather than look at the electorate and say, what do the punters want? They're looking over their shoulder and they're thinking, okay, how do we deal with this Corbynite left that's in our own party? And they're sort of trapped by a combination of the fear of Corbyn, but also not having the sense that as you are a left of centre party, you can believe in the big state. You right. should believe in the big state. In fact, the centre left without a muscular state doesn't exist. And that's where the founders says the tragedy of this moment is they seem to think if we just say nothing except the occasional murmuring of fiscal prudence, that ultimately we'll be elected. But then the question is, great, elected to do what? You haven't said you, you, you know, it's like the line out of Hamilton. If you don't stand for something, what do you stand for? Or whatever the hell it was, right? You, there's nothing there. And that's truly disturbing because that just says this. Go back to the point of view of a global investor. I'm looking to the next people that are going to run the country because it seems to have run aground. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm looking at. You're absolutely right, and it's true. But Blair was doing the rounds, early doors, 1995, after John Smith died, 95, yeah. 96. You know, basically, at least talking a very good game. I saw Gordon Brown for the first time in New York in 1996, halfway up the Rockefeller Centre at a Labour International meeting, glad-handing the biggest fund managers in New York. They knew the game they were playing and they were outdoing it. And I can guarantee you, this mob, they're not even on the... They haven't booked their flights yet. And then poor old Harry Kane was playing GAA when he should have been playing football. <laughs> well, it's nice to know. <laughs> it's nice to know that Britain finally did get a successful spacecraft operation and, and going, you know, when he booted <laughs> that ball into orbit. Mark, before you go, just a quick look back at the year. You're obviously in the States. You've been looking at the states, looking at American politics, economics, the American firmament. Any takeaways, any lessons 2022 from the states? What do you take away? Take away a couple of things. Uh, the first one is it's really hard to put this country into a recession. They've been trying for the yeah. past <laughs> yes. year and they still haven't managed it, right? Part of this goes to labour shortages. What we haven't really appreciated is that when you have the baby boomers finally retiring and you have an awful lot of people who are impaired, if not dead from COVID, and you don't like immigration, you can apply this to the UK as well, you're going to have permanently tight labour markets. 
And it's going to yep. take an awful lot of kicking to make a dent in that. Now, if you're at the bottom end of that labour market, the kicking gets worse once it kicks in. But, you know, it's surprising. I think the other one is that maybe the Trump bubble has burst. His latest thing, I don't know if you saw this, is action figures of himself oh. as a superhero. Yeah, I saw those. No, no, sorry, I, look, them I, up, look them up. They're, they're truly incredible. I'll tell and you about it, 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 it is that type of thing whereby it's a brilliant acid test because if he still gets elected having done this, possibly the most ridiculous and demeaning thing he's done yet, then there is no hope. But I think that the bubble on Trump has burst. And then finally, we may have demolished crypto which is probably good. Stay to the hard start for we'll come back. That's the interesting. Just one last thing on crypto. Will crypto come back if interest rates begin to fall again? It might, if you get to the point of free money again. But I think it's always got a use case in this scenario. Imagine, David, that rather living in Ireland, you lived in a kind of marginal democracy that was politically unstable and there was a bunch of unsavory people who were out to get power. They can take your bank account, they can freeze your assets, but you can put crypto on a hard drive and stick it up your bum and leave the country. You can't do that with a bank account. So there's a residual case for basically high net worth individuals in politically troubled places dealing in crypto as a kind of insurance, disaster insurance policy. And I don't think that ever goes away. Mark Blythe, this is time to say happy Christmas on that lovely, upbeat Scottish Presbyterian note. <laughs> hey, remember, I'm a Catholic. And no, but you support, but you support Rangers, so we can't get over that. That's that, and that's why I live in the United States. It's the death threats. You've no idea. <laughs> Mark, this is great to talk to you. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, mate. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So Mark does not paint a very rosy picture. Well, he is Scottish. Hey, 
as somebody with Scottish grandparents, I know that when the Scots when the Scots go negative, they go very negative. Well, man, he was painting a really bad picture, and you know he was saying there that, and he is a Rangers fan. Well, he is a Rangers, Rangers fan, which... who actually gave us the best weeks of football in the whole year when they had the most appalling European odyssey, where I think they actually leaked nine goals in two games. Right. You've lost me a little bit, Max. Right, you're the, 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 they're in the Champions League. I know, but I wasn't watching that. Ah, you guys, that's the, that's, that's the half Scott in me, you know. you, you got to get into all that stuff. But what, what he was saying, though, which I found interesting, was the fact that between Labour on one side and the Tories on the other, between them, there's no vision. And there's no... Well, they're captured. As I was saying, they're captured by history. Yeah. And, and the thing is that, you know, nostalgia is the most dangerous political creed because nostalgia because the Labour Party have it and the Tories have it you create an image of a world you like or you would like to be back to or you would like to avoid and then like memory is selective so we all memorise different things and I think what's happened to the UK is that they are caught in the tyranny of nostalgia and that is highly destructive in a world But how do you get out of that? That's the thing you know it's it's like, like, just now we're back into, you know, of all the stuff that has gone on over the last few years, the lack of investment, as Mark was saying, and you know, and just going for the quick book and and well, yeah, focusing the, on the, the finance, finance financialization. Well, yeah. actually, speaking of finance, John, do you know, we should end. We should end this podcast today. Speaking <laughs> of finance, is the West lower stand? Oh, oh there we go. In Aviva Tarkman is back. <laughs> Tarkman's back. The guys, Fergal and Dermot. The guys. The guys. And then there's, a, there's of course, there's a guy called Gavin who went to Gonzaga, right? Gavin from Gonzaga, right? Great with numbers. Not great with people. Great with numbers. Did you hear what's happening, John? Your old friends, the bankers, are getting their bonus caps taken away. This is it. And perfect timing, just for Christmas. Well, I God, think, they deserve it, though, I Mac. Think we they should, deserve it. I think, given that Leinster are probably going to play in the Aviva over the course of the the festive season yeah. you know let's end in the west lower you know have two high notes please <laughs> talk to you Thursday before we go just want to bring you a small international segment advertising Santander and our new solution Santander Navigator This new portal helps make international growth simpler. So if you think that doing business abroad is a bit of a hassle, using Santander Navigator will show you how it could save you both time and money as you grow. And for today's segment, we're joined by Finn O'Driscoll, Chief Executive Officer of Sun Generation, who provide premium handcrafted packaged tea since 2021. As a subscriber to the Santander Navigator platform, they have direct access to a wealth of knowledge and support, which for Sun Generation provides unrivaled opportunities to deliver on their international ambitions. Over to you, Mac. Okay, Finn, Mr. O'Driscoll, tell me now about Sun Generation, what you started with, where you're going to, and how you expanded into bigger and more different markets. So Sun Generation is very straightforward. All we're about is tea. That's all we do. Everything we do is tea. It's as simple as that. Uh, It's a passion of mine. And all our products are 100% natural. So we don't even do a decaffeinated tea. So everything we do is based around tea leaf. It is that straightforward. Tell me how, wait wait, wait a second, wait a second. You and I are from Dublin, okay. Great, great tea drinking city, must be said, but not a great tea culture. How, tell me, did you get into tea? 
Well, I've been in the drinks industry all my life and uh, alcohol, soft drinks, and tea is one of those things that you, you just acquire a taste for it. I drink all my tea without milk. So I prefer the natural flavors. I uh, drink a lot of Earl Grey, which obviously has has a stronger flavor profile. But look, you know, tea, tea culture is, you know, written in stone, whether you're in Ireland or whether you're in the UK. You know, we're a big tea drinking nation. And that's really the strength of why we're trying to take it into other markets around the world. Okay, so tell me now, because you're absolutely right. And it's funny, you know, when you go elsewhere, particularly when you go on the continent, there's a sort of, it tends to be, although it did tend to be a sort of a pushback on tea. It's kind of coffee drinking neck of the woods. Now tell me, how did you, or what are the tricks of the trade when it comes to going from, let's say, the UK, where you understand the market, you understand the people, you know, the suppliers, you know, the distributors, you know, the retail culture, you know, the behavioral culture, going to a new place. Tell me, what are the tricks of the trade and how can, for example, how have you been helped? Well, look, I think look, I think there's two elements. One, remember, um, tea has natural caffeine. To answer your question about the coffee segment, the the big thing I would remind people is: look, do not underestimate the strength of brand GB, and that would also go for brand Ireland. You know, we've got a worldwide appreciation of our products, our consistency, and the quality. But for me, it's all about, and I, I've been doing international sales for many years. Look, it's all about the desk research, and that's where something like the Santander Navigator. Uh, program comes into its strength because it's got all the basic information that you need and therefore you're saving a lot of time, a lot of resource and in fairness, a lot of money. You know, the the the, the three areas that I would say um, that really stuck out for me with the Navigator program was the Insight Hub and that gives you just all the information that you need before you go into these marketplaces. You know, it, I can't stress enough, you need the basic research of who you're trying to target and why do they want to buy your product? Don't just assume because you've got a top-selling product in your domestic market, it's going to work in the international market. It doesn't work like that. You've got to have a point of difference, a reason for them to resonate with the product, but more importantly, a reason for them to buy the product itself. For me, I've been doing a lot of work in North America. And again, that's an obvious choice because they're English speaking, but they also understand the tea culture. They drink tea out there. So again, you know that that is a positive for us as an organization. The key thing is that you just got to understand what the, the basic rules of engagement are in that market. And again, that's where the navigator can come into it because they've got access to logistics companies that deal with worldwide. So again, just because yep, you can get it from you. A to B, you've got all those as benefits. But look, the reality is that you may need to change the packaging. It might go, need to go into different language. And the ingredients, just because your ingredients work in the UK and they are allowed to be used in the UK, don't assume they can in other markets. So it's it is, and I can't you know stress enough. It's about the research, and that's where something like the Navigator system it just saved us days and days and days of desk research because it's there, you know, at the fingertips. And as you said, it also saved you thousands and thousands of euros or pounds Correct. or whatever you're, whatever you're dealing with. And just briefly before we go, how are things going in terms of exporting? Oh, fantastic. Look, you know, we, we did this trip with Santander to America. I did six cities in five days. We're in the process of signing a distributor agreement and we're looking to launch into three retailers directly from March 2023. Great. It can't get any better than that. Brilliant, Finn. Well, listen, listen, happy Christmas to you. Happy New and Year. You. And maybe we'll talk to you in the New Year. And listen, best of luck with Sun Generation and Santander. Let me know where to send the tea samples. Exactly. Okie dokie. All right. Cheers, Finn. Take care. Bye. 
Great stuff. Thanks so much to Finn for joining us. And thanks to Santander. Whether you're new to exporting or just looking to expand your business internationally, check out Santander Navigator and request a demo at santandernavigator.co.uk. Subscription fees apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.